If you got your Bibles, go ahead and have to open up. Go ahead and open up to Ezra. Ezra chapter 1. It's right after 1st and 2nd Chronicles. If you don't know where 1st and 2nd Chronicles is, look in your index. All right, Ezra chapter 1. Over the next eight weeks, okay, we're going to be walking through the book of Ezra, and you're going to hear these three words again and again and again over the next eight weeks, okay? The first one is return, okay? You're going to see the people of Israel return from exile to Jerusalem, okay? As they return to Jerusalem, then you're going to see Israel rebuild the temple. Return, rebuild. And so we're going to look at Israel rebuilding the temple, and we're going to look at Israel rebuilding um, themselves as a nation, spiritually, all right? The third one is repent, all right? Return, rebuild, repent. At the end of Ezra, you will see them repent all together corporately as they seek to move forward, as they reestablish themselves as a nation, as a country, all right? Who can say those three? Larry, you got those three? Uh, Were you reading your email or the Bible? All right, well, I'll give you a break there. Who who got the three? Robbie, you got the three? Robbie, that's not PC, man. (laughs) Delaney? They start with an R. All three of them start with the R. Return, rebuild, repent. I'm a horrible communicator. I just found that out, all right? Return. (laughs) And now I'm a bad communicator, all right? It's right there. Return, rebuild, repent. You're going to hear those three words a lot. This morning, all right, we're going to look at return, all right? Ezra chapter 1, read with me. Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed the house and placed in the house of his gods 
Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in charge of Mithridath, Mithridath, something like that, the treasurer, all right, better known as the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, that's a bizarre name, the prince of Judah, and this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. All the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Okay, what I want you to see here, all right, is you see the people, God's people, Israel, returning to Jerusalem, right? God's people, meaning that back in Genesis, right, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he told Abraham, I'm going to multiply your offspring, right? Your descendants are, are going to be as many as the stars. Look up. Look up, Abraham. This is my promise to you. And he establishes this covenant with Abraham, right? And then you see Abraham and his people, they move into Egypt, right? And then like rabbits, they multiplied like crazy in Egypt, all right? Then they got a new pharaoh that came into Egypt, and the pharaoh started to oppress them, right? Put them to work, made them their slaves. And so the people of Israel cried out to God and said, God, save us. God, help us. God, do you see the affliction? Do you see the oppression, right? They're weary. They're tired. They're worn out. And so they cry out to God. God hears their cry. God sends down the 10 plagues. Pharaoh lets them go after the 10th plague. God leads them through the Red Sea where he parted the Red Sea. Then they go 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, and God was preparing them to enter the promised land, this promised land that God said, hey, I'm going to take you, and you're going to dwell in this land that I have prepared for you, this land flowing with milk and honey. Where I bring the rains from the heavens to water the crops, where I have prepared the land for you, you're going to live in there and you're, you're going to experience the blessing of my provision and my sovereignty because I am your God, you are my people, I have chose you, right? That Israel, God's people that he chose and he set his affections on. That people was living in the promised land, and that people chased after false idols. They chased after other gods. They decided, I'm going to play Lord of my own life. And so God exiled them. God kicked them out of the promised land. And for 70 years, they were exiled. I was telling this story to the first service last night. The pals were over at our house, and we were eating ice cream. Kids, how many of you like ice cream? Pop your hand up. All right. You like ice cream. Here's a story about ice cream, right? Look me in the eyeballs, all right? Yes. <laughs> Eyeball. Here we go. Ready? Catch you sleeping again. I'll come over there, all right? All right. All right. Don't talk back, all right? All right. Ice cream. So the pals were over having ice cream last night, all right? And right before we are about to give Joelle some ice cream, she threw this big fit. She threw a temper. All right, and so me and my wife, we decided, hey, we had that look at each other, and we're like, she's not getting ice cream. All right, and so we told her, you're not getting ice cream. Brooklyn got ice cream. <clears throat> Joelle did not. Joelle was not happy. And as a matter of fact, I told Joelle she wasn't going to get ice cream till the next day. I said, we'll try it again tomorrow. 
Because oftentimes as a parent, right, you tell your kids, nah, 10 minutes later, they're like, <laughs> right? You end up, you, you give in, you know? And so this was one of those conversations, Cat, we're like, no, we have some convictions here. All right, we're going to plan ourselves because over the last 48 hours, my parenting has been exposed big time. Um, and so we got to work on some things. My kids have been acting a fool. And so we made her sit there and watch Brooklyn eat her ice cream in front of her. And like every lick that Brooklyn took, I could tell Joe's face just kind of fell. Like, uh. All right, she was, she, it was awful for her. She couldn't stand it. But I kept telling her, we'll try again tomorrow. You don't get any ice cream. We'll try again tomorrow. And from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., she came and asked me about every minute and a half, hey, can I get some ice cream now? Because she just was watching Brooklyn eat hers and she just could not stand it. All right? What I'm trying to say, the wait. Right? My daughter, like, what do you mean? I got I to gotta wait till tomorrow to try this again? I'm probably going to be bad again tomorrow. What do you mean wait till tomorrow? What do you mean wait? Like, the wait. My daughter had to wait 24 hours before she got ice cream today. She got ice cream today. She got cakes. She got cupcakes. She had everything today. We waited three months before we gathered back together, right? Think about the three months, the anxiousness of like, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to get back together with my people, with my family. 70 years Israel was exiled. That's a lifetime. Imagine waiting for ice cream for 70 years. 70 years they waited, and God here in Ezra chapter 1 brings them back. And here's how God brings them back. And here's the one point I have for this morning, because I found out in the first service, I have a lot to say. I don't have time to say it all. So we got one point. Go to Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, at the end of 44, starting in verse 28, you'll see Isaiah prophesying, all right? God is sending a message to his people saying, hey, you're going to be exiled, but take heart, take hope. I am going to bring you back. Hey, understand there's punishment for your sin. There's consequence for sin because I'm a just God and I can't be anything other than just. I will always defend what is right, true, and just. But he says, hey, after your exile, take heart, you will return. God's saying, hey, I remember my covenant. Even though you broke the covenant we had, I remember. He says this in 28. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built. And of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings. You remember Ezra chapter one, when Cyrus says, I have got the domain of all these kingdoms. I've been, my hand is on all these kingdoms. And he says, and he issues his decree. And he says, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, they can go back, send them back to build the temple in the city. King Cyrus, Isaiah 44, prophesied that this was the instrument in which God would use to bring his people back. I will go before you 
I will give you the treasures of darkness. You remember when they head back, the countries that they came from, they gave them their what? Their silver, their golds, their resources. Isaiah 44, Isaiah 45, Isaiah prophesies that this was going to happen in Ezra 1, and we just read it happening in Ezra 1. Here's what I want you to understand about this, though. God did it. God did it. God brought him back physically. God brought him back spiritually. God used Cyrus as an instrument in his hand to bring his people back to Jerusalem to reestablish them. You can look around you right now and you can see a lot of correlations to Ezra chapter 1 and where you sit. You can't tell me that God hasn't used First Bible Baptist and Pastor Mark Brown and his staff as an instrument to allow us to gather back together. 100%. Think about this. I want to th- think about your life. Think about your testimony. Just like Cyrus was an instrument in God's hand to bring Israel back, who's been the Cyrus in your life? There's, there's, there's probably somebody sitting in here who's played the role of Cyrus in your life, who God used in an important time, in an important season to bring you back to him, to bring you back. When I was in college, I remember two people, two people specifically stand out to me when I think about how God revealed himself to me. Okay, I was in college in Tennessee. I had just had shoulder surgery. And so I missed the rest of my baseball season. And my father had just passed away. And so the two things that meant the most to me in life are now gone. And there are two people that I look back and I go, God used them as as an instrument in his hand to woo me back to reveal himself to me. The first guy, his name is Patrick Wines. And Patrick Wines, I used to come home uh, on breaks, Christmas break, Thanksgiving break. I used to come home. And every time I would come home, he would call me. And he would call me and say, hey, you want to go grab catfish and hush puppies? And we'd go up to Liberty and we'd eat catfish and hush puppies. And we'd sit down and, and he would say, Zach, how you doing? Zach, can I do anything for you? How's your head? He didn't preach to me. He knew I didn't care. He knew I heard enough preaching in my home growing up. But he sat down and he said, Zach, how you doing? And every time I came back in town, he called me. Pat was holding on to me. He was holding on to the rope that was attached to my belt and he wasn't going to let me fall over. He wasn't going to let me go. Every time I came home, he called me. Hey, you want to go grab catfish? Hey, you want to go play a round of golf? Let's catch up. And God used him as an instrument in my life to reveal himself to me. There's people in here that have played Cyrus in your life that you need to go, hey, I want you to know. I want you to know what you've done for me in my life, how God has used you to impact me. And I want you to know how he's used you. The second person I was in college was my wife. My wife was missionary dating. She didn't know I was that far from the Lord when she first met me, but she, uh, she sent me a text. 
And she said, you want to go to a Bible study? Right? And I'm like, not really, but I like you. And you're cute, so I'll go. And I remember going to the Bible study. I remember looking at my wife, and I remember watching her talk with other people and read the Bible and ask questions. And I remember driving home in my truck that night after the Bible study, and I'm like, because my, my dad, like I said, my dad used to t- talk to me all the time about Scripture. I didn't ever apply it. But it was always in my head. Like there, would be, there are still times today where I'm like, ah, I remember that. I remember he said that to me. I remember where that's at. And so I'm driving home from this Bible study in my truck, and Ephesians 5 comes in my head, right? Ephesians 5, 22, right? Talks, Paul talks about how do you love your wife, Right? And I remember driving home and that passage comes to my mind. I'm like, where in the heck did that come from? Wife, aren't we moving a little quick here? You know, but I remember driving home and, and sitting in that Bible study with her. I remember thinking to myself, this is the first person. This is the first person that I want to sacrificially give myself to. I want to love as Christ loves the church, like Ephesians 5 says. I want to do this. I had this desire, like Ephesians 5. I wanted to do that for her. I had never felt that. I didn't even know what Ephesians 5 was until I was driving home. I never wanted to do that. And we started hanging out after that night and the rest of my life changed. Everything changed from that night, everything. And I look back and I go, God used my wife as an instrument in his hand to go, you're coming home. I'm gonna reveal myself to you in a way that is irresistible that you cannot deny and and you're coming home. I'm gonna show you just how sweet I am, Zach, because I thought a lot of other things were sweet at that time in my life. I thought a lot of other things tasted good at that time in my life. And God was like, he used those two people as huge instruments in my life. And so you ought to ask yourself, Am I an instrument in somebody else's life? Is God using me in somebody else's life? And then you should look around this room and before you leave, you should tell somebody in this room how God has used them to impact your life. That's what we see here. God used Cyrus as an instrument to bring his people home. God kept his promise. He said, you will be exiled for 70 years in Jeremiah 25, 12. You will be exiled for, 20, for 70 years. God kept his promise and brought them home. He brought them home. Ezra chapter 2, there's a list of names and a list of families and a list of people that were, um, that, 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 that traveled back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to reestablish together as a nation again. There's a list of names there, a whole chapter you'll see. And here's a reality. Here's why it's an important chapter. And, and what I want you to remember about that chapter is that your name is in that chapter. Your name's in that chapter. And so you can even want at the bottom of that page, if you want to write your family's name at the bottom of that page, do it. Because here's the reality. If God doesn't keep his promise, if God doesn't use Cyrus, 
If God doesn't bring his people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to fulfill what he promised he would, you don't have Jesus. You don't have the fulfillments of his life. You don't have the crucifixion on the cross. If you don't have the crucifixion, you don't have the resurrection. If you don't have the resurrection, you have no salvation, which means you and I are forever stuck in exile from God. Forever. It's all one string, and you pull it out. You look at those names there in chapter 2, and you look at those families there in chapter 2. Because God made a way for them back, the rest is history. You see the coming of Christ. You see the salvation, which made a way for all of us to know God. Write your family's name at the bottom of that. And maybe, maybe you need to go have some conversations with some people in your family. Maybe you're the instrument that they need right now to see God's face. In the coming weeks, I want to give you a heads up that over the next two weeks what you're going to see, okay? This morning, celebrating and talking about the return, all right, how God has made a way for us physically and spiritually, all right, to come home, okay? Over the next probably four weeks or so, we're going to be talking about this idea of rebuild, okay? And, and, and that's going to be physically and spiritually, okay? So building, right, our building on the property. We're going to talk about the building on the property, okay? And then we're going to talk spiritually about how do we continue to build ourselves as a church, moving forward, okay? Next week, Brian Fellers and Lloyd Jackson, all right, who are partners in Harmons, Jamaica, okay? They just took positions as C, uh, the, the head directors of One by One to Jamaica, okay? They're gonna be here next week, and so they're gonna talk, all right? And they're gonna talk to us about, hey, how can we partner with them as a church to build, all right, on the new vision that they have in Harmons, Okay? And then afterwards, Scott will talk about, hey, how do we all right, build here right now? All right? So both internationally and right here. Okay? That's next week. The following week, we're going to be talking about rebuilding still. Okay? This is on the 28th. I'm going to have a friend of mine come, all right? and we're going to have a conversation up here. All right, and we're going to have a conversation um, about some of the racial injustice you see in our community right now. All right, and I'm excited about this conversation. I think you're going to learn and glean a lot from this conversation that we're going to have, but it's important. And here's why it's important. Because if we're going to build, okay, there's some things that we got to get right. If we're going to build, right, if you know anything about building, you know there's some things you got to get right from the get-go if you're going to build something. Or else as you go up, this thing's going to be wonky, it's going to be off, and ain't going to be sturdy, and it's going to fall apart. And ultimately, when it falls, it ain't a testimony to the glory of God when it falls. It's not a testimony to the glory of God when it falls. As the Bible calls us, as we build, the Bible calls us to show no partiality. Paul's clear about it. God is clear about it. He says, show no partiality. He says the aim is love. In the end, there will come a time when every tribe, every nation, every tongue will worship together around the throne. 
God is clear about, he says, show no partiality. And the church, Paul is clear to the church of show no partiality. The aim is always love, period. The aim is love. And so building, moving forward, we have to grow in our ability to love, our ability to show no partiality. It is an important conversation for us to have right now in our cultural context. Okay, so that's coming on the 28th. I encourage you, um, the next two weeks, you know, as we hear from some different people, invite your friends. Invite some people on the block. All right, invite your neighbors. Next week, it's going to be encouraging hearing from Brian and Lloyd about the new vision in Harmons and what we can do to partner with them. And the following week, it's going to be a great conversation. And so invite some friends. Because God has made a way for you to come home, be an instrument in other people's lives so that they can come home, so that they can see God's face. The band's going to come back up. I'm going to pray and we'll worship. God, thanks for being rich in mercy. Thanks for plucking me out of my sinful way of the path that was leading to destruction. God, the reality is in my life, and I know this, God, you saved me from hell. I didn't save myself. You saved me from hell, God. That's the sobering, provocative reality about your love is you, God, saved me from hell, not because I loved you, but because you loved me me. You made a way home for me. You used people as instruments to make a way home. God, I'm thankful for the sweetness of that message and that reality. God, I pray as we, as we worship this morning, as we leave for the evening, I pray we would ask ourselves the questions, God, how are you trying to use me? God, how do you want to use me? God, bring a name into my mind. Who am I supposed to go and be an instrument for you? God, we thank you. Amen.